Thank you so much, worship team. I always enjoy their preparations for us. They just sort of do something to get us ready uh, for uh, worshiping the Lord and helping us do, be engaged in that process. Thank you so much. You know, all human beings, being human, share a common experience. And this common experience has to do with consciously or unconsciously assessing the servants of God that uh, serve them. Uh, For example, uh, in churches, it's not too unusual that people will often uh, go through the exercise of evaluating and judging uh, those who serve them and serve the Lord. And uh, so they come to some conclusions. What conclusions do they come to? For example, they would say, oh, that, that, that person is really good. And then they'll come to the other person and say, ah, so-so, so-so, you know. And then the other person, they'll say, oh, that was, oh, my, that was, that was really bad, okay? And people engage in this, oh, I'd say every week, I would say, uh, every time we're under the ministry of the word, uh, whether we're in a care group or we're at a prayer meeting or we are in worship service and all kinds of other meetings. Now, the problem with this is that when this goat happens in a church, the results are disunity and divisions. In a church, believers can go overboard in assessing fellow servants on their performance as teammates, teachers, ministers, elders, and pastors, and leaving a huge amount of damage in its wake. I don't know. Some of us have probably not been in church too long, and we haven't seen it. Others of us have been in church really a long time, and we have seen it, and it is not pretty. So whether we've been in a church for a short time or a long time, we have seen or maybe have experienced firsthand the sword of criticism or favoritism in one way or another. Yes, my friends, bad things do happen in good churches, (laughs) okay? And so we need to get over that. We need to get over that. We are not vaccinated or inoculated or somehow uh, uh, prevented from experiencing these these harmful things. Having favorites and taking sides with different uh, members, teachers, leaders, ministers, or preachers can be toxic to the health and welfare of a church. And that is why it's so important that this topic is addressed. And that is what the Apostle Paul was doing when he wrote to the Christians at Corinth. And so uh, we'd like to continue our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are now at chapter 4. But before we jump into that, I think it'd be good for us to remember where we are. Uh, Perhaps you are just joining us or rejoining us, and so let's go through just a very brief um, review. The church at Corinth was defiled, disgraced, and divided. No doubt about it. It doesn't take a a scholar to read the letter of 1 Corinthians and realize they were in trouble. They were in deep trouble. The Corinthians thought and behaved as, as if they were still pagans and not followers of Christ. That was terrible. And so, as you know, the city of Corinth was a very corrupt city, morally and every other way. And so the people who were converted out of that to Christianity, they didn't change much. They just transferred their thinking and their behaviors right into the church. And that became the order of the day. 
And so the Corinthians were, in this particular instance, were taking sides over uh, the apostle Paul and Peter and Apollos who ministered the word of God among them. Uh, For example, if you look at uh, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verses 3 to 4, we read these words. It says, For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? And that was the trouble. People were saying, hey, I got my hero, you know, and whatever this guy says, I'm all for it, you know. And this other guy, not so good, so let's just move on, that kind of thing. So Paul went on to express how this was not the way of God and that they should focus on who they are and what they have in Christ and ultimately from God, all right? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. So then... Let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And so Paul was trying to get their eyes back on God and off of one another. And so this becomes really important. When believers allow their way of thinking and living to be determined by the standard of the world instead of the standard of God, disunity and divisions are sure to follow. All right? And so don't get all upset when the leaders of the church, when the pastors of the church, when they come to you and they try to show you the difference between the ways of the world and the ways of God. And they urge you not to allow the ways of the world to control the church or to dictate what the church will do. Don't get upset. Don't point your finger at them and and tell them that you guys are just, you know, living in another world or something like that. No, no. They are telling you the truth, and they are trying to show you the way that we should walk. And so this is why it's so important. We don't want to be just uh, walking as mere men. So how should believers then see the servants of Christ, and how should they assess and evaluate them? And this is where we come to chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. And Paul uh, starts out in verse 1. He says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, he says. And uh, he says that uh, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Now, You look at that and you say, wow, that's a mouthful. He's really saying a lot. So let's take it apart. In verse 1, he says, regard. And this is a command. He says, consider. Consider us, okay? Before you guys go off the deep end and start putting us on a pedestal or kicking us off a pedestal, he says, regard us in this manner. And he says what? He uses two very distinct words to describe who he's talking about. This is Paul, Peter, and Apollos, and he's saying, this is who we are, servants of Christ. Now, this is an interesting word that he would choose. This Greek word here is used of lowly galley slaves. 
This word was used to describe those people who manned the Roman warships and were in the very dungeons of the ship, the darkest recesses. And they were the ones who were rowing the boat, propelling it wherever they were ordered to take it. And these were considered the lowliest of the low. In fact, this group of slaves, the word was so specific, it referred to those in the last tier of the Roman galley. These were guys at the very bottom. These were the guys below the waterline. <laughs> and if that, if that Roman galley ship got hit and it was going down, there's no way they were going to get out. These guys were lost, okay? So this is what Paul chooses to, uh, to describe himself. And it's the emphasis here is on service and submission. Servants of Christ are not the owner or even the captain of a ship. They are galley slaves who row as ordered and directed by those above them. Okay? So Paul says, guys, let's get this straight. I am just a servant of Christ. I am a lowly galley slave, he says. But then there's a second word that he uses. And this word is interesting too. Because he says he's the stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, steward, this is a Greek word, describes a trusted slave or servant who is entrusted to care for and be in charge of all that his master owns. Now, what's the emphasis here? Slave put the emphasis on submission and service. In this, using this word, the emphasis is upon loyalty, obedience, and service. In other words, the steward's singular focus is to do what the master wants to be done and to what the master owns, okay? The steward owns nothing but is responsible for everything. <laughs> I know that that's something that all of us sometimes feel at work, right? We have no control over anything, but we're responsible for everything, right? Have many of you feel that way sometimes? This is exactly what a steward does. He is responsible for everything. And so Paul points out what they are stewards of, and he says the mysteries of God. Now, what are these? These are the truths of God that have been revealed. Before, they were rather shrouded in mystery, but now in the New Testament, they were being made clear, they were being revealed, and people were finally beginning to see. For example, the message of the cross. That was a message that was promised, hinted to, indicated in the Old Testament, but now in Jesus Christ, it came to fruition. It was happening right before their eyes. In Acts chapter 20, Paul talks about his teaching, and he talks about it in this way, Acts chapter 20, verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an important message that he was uh, sharing consistently and actively. Also, if you look at Acts chapter 20, 
Verse uh, 27, he says this, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And so not only was he declaring the good news of the gospel, but other great truths as well, all right? Such as the return of Christ, such as how we will be collected and we meet Jesus Christ in the air. All these great truths were now being revealed. And Paul had that wonderful privilege to share those. He was a steward of the mysteries of God. Well, with... To be a steward, to be someone with such great responsibility, what do you think is the greatest characteristic this person ought to have? Well, look at verse 2. In this case, referring to Paul, Peter, and Apollos, Paul says that one uh, be found trustworthy. The steward is obedient, loyal, and accountable to the master and responsible for all that the master assigns to him and puts under his control and charge. So, if you put these two words together, servant and steward, you get a very powerful picture of who these people are who serve the Lord. And we need to be careful how we see and perceive those who serve as ministers, teachers, and preachers in the church. Before we push them to see, uh, push, uh, to see them uh, meet our every need and fancy or push to put them on some kind of pedestal, we ought to realize they are servants and stewards of God and God's truths. That's their primary mission. That's their primary mission. They first and foremost serve God. They are loyal to God, and they carry a heavy responsibility from God. Many of you aren't really sure, you know, how I ended up in the ministry, but uh, one of the telltale and one of the most moving experiences I had was I was teaching college Sunday school in our church, and uh, you have to remember that, you know, we were in the Bay Area, so we had a lot of top-notch students from all over the world that attended Cal Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, and so they were in this class, and... uh, uh, unfortunately, they had me as the teacher, and so uh, I was in there. And well, so one time I was teaching on a particular topic, and one of the students came to me, and they said, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but something you said today really clicked, and it was just like God was speaking to me. And, you know, at first, I would have thought that took that as a compliment. I would have said, hey, this is you know, that was great, glad I'm here, you know, right place, right time, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So what happened, I went home and I shared that with my wife, and then my wife, she said, she noticed there was a change in my face, and, and, I, and she said, what's wrong? You should be happy. And I said, it was like a cold sweat that fell over me. And I said, that person believed something that was said through me. And I said, honey, I think I better be prepared better in my lessons and things. I better make sure that what I'm saying is true because somebody out there is listening. Somebody out there is listening. And you cannot believe that, that heavy responsibility that all of those who teach the Word of God, whether you're a care group leader, you're a Sunday school teacher, or any of that, That's what they bear. That's what they bear. 
someone out there is listening and someone out there might just make a decision based on what they heard. You see? And so that's how we should see the servants of God as those as who are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Those who lead, minister, teach, and preach in the church are servants of Christ and stewards of God's ministry. So let's get that part straight. Paul goes even further to address our attitudes of assessing and evaluating and even judging God's servants. And this is, he does this in verses 3 and 4, okay? And God's servants are examined by God. They're examined by God. Verse 3. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is who? The Lord, he says. Now, to get us a better idea of what he's talking about here, when he uses the word examine, many of the English translations, including the ESV, uses the word judged, okay, judged, okay? They're judged or evaluated uh, um, uh, in, in this instance where that word appears. But ultimately, who can evaluate the servant of Christ? Whose opinion in judgment matters the most? Whose opinion or judgment matters the most? Let's cut right to the chase. Verse 3, Paul says, It's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or any other human court. Now, when you see this at first, you might jump to a conclusion saying, Boy, that Paul, he's an arrogant son of a gun, isn't he? <laughs> How dare he say that, you know, he's, he is oblivious and he is not unaccountable to any uh, human uh, uh, authority or anything like that. Now, before you do that, let's take this thing apart. Notice here, he says, it's a very small thing. Now, Paul did not say, it is nothing. He didn't say that. If Paul said, it is nothing, it matters not one, one iota what any human being thinks of me. Now, that would be arrogance. That would be arrogance. Paul didn't say that. He just said, it's a small thing. Now, when someone says that there's a small thing, that implies there's a bigger thing, right? And the bigger thing, what is more important to Paul than human opinions, criticisms, or compliments? Could it be himself? Could it be his own evaluation? Does Paul wake up in the morning and say, you look in the mirror and say, boy, you one good-looking dude, you know, and, you know, you, you, you one smart guy, you know, you, you really waxed eloquent in that message and so forth. Is that what he does? No. Look at verse 3, because he says, uh, uh, um, in fact, I do not even examine myself. I don't judge myself. I don't feel competent myself to, to judge myself, he says. And he says, for I am not conscious of, uh, uh, he, he goes on to say, uh, even in verse 4, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. So at that particular moment that he's writing this, Paul says, no, I, I'm not aware of any sin or unfaithfulness in my life. But he said, that doesn't mean I'm blameless. Because he understands the limitations of being human. 
He dared not trust his own evaluation of himself, for he is only human. And like all of us, he could have blind spots. Does anybody, don't raise your hands, does anybody in this church have blind spots? Okay. You know what a blind spot is? A blind spot is where there is something that we do not see or something that we do not want to see in our lives. So we have a blind spot, okay? And Paul says, hey, I'm only a human just like the next guy, and I don't trust myself evaluating myself. So that's why he comes to verse 4 and the very end, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Ultimately, 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 for Paul, the servant of God, he is examined, he is judged by the Lord. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 says this, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Wow. Wow. So the Lord will ultimately do the judging of how we are doing. Whether you are a newbie or a seasoned veteran, what God thinks of your faithful ministry is the most important evaluation of all. And so do not live or die on the criticism or compliments of man. Ask yourself, what does God think? Many a servant of God has let the words of man crush them or elevate them to unhealthy depths or heights. You see, when I started out in the ministry, I I do like I always do. I wait at the back of the church and and, uh, I would, you know, want to greet people. And one reason I do that is because then I remember who came to church. Because my church was very small at that point, so I can remember, I can take a mental attendance list, if you will. But it also gives me a chance to catch up to people, all right? And so I would do that. But then I found an unhealthy attitude beginning to come in. I was fishing for compliments. I was fishing for compliments. Because I wanted to know if I had hit the mark on the message. And so I waited out there, not for the good reasons of catching up with people or keeping tabs with people, but for the unhealthy reason of fishing for compliments. And I'll tell you, my wife will back this up. She'll say that if I got bad, if I got bad credits or no credits on that day for the mess, we were going to have a bad week. We were going to have a bad, bad week, Okay. And so this is what would happen. I would ebb and flow. I would fall or rise based upon the compliments of people. Well, I'm glad to say that after 30 plus years, I'm getting a handle on it. All right? And so I don't, I don't rise or fall based upon the number of compliments that people give me. Now, that doesn't mean you can't give me a compliment. Okay? Compliments are welcome. All right? Uh, even criticisms, okay? That's fine. That's, that's fair game. But what happens is that we ought not to, as servants of Christ, live or die based upon the number of credits or, or criticisms that we get, okay? Because why? Because it is the Lord who judges us. It is the Lord who judges us. And so, 
God's servants are ultimately examined or judged by the Lord. And I dare say that probably that serves as a stronger motivation for us uh, in the ministry. It should, because we know that we want to please the Lord and that he is able uh, to uh, do that. God's servants are stewards of what, has, uh, what he has given to them to take care of, and they are ultimately examined by him. So, but why is the judgment of the Lord about us and what we do so special? What's so special about the Lord? What, what is it that the <laughs> Lord's opinion is it's so much more uh, accurate or um, it's so superior to any humans? Okay, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 tells us, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Wow. Well, what is Paul saying in there? God's judgment of his servants is superior to any judgment that you or I can give. Okay? Um, why? Because it is he who will bring to light the hidden, the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. In other words, those acts and attitudes that others cannot see, God will make them known. God can see those things. Our hidden acts and attitudes are uh, not hidden at all from God. We look at, uh, remember, how many of you remember 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when God was uh, disclosing why he was uh, choosing uh, David. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And this has great implications for us because God's judgment of us is much more accurate, complete, and comprehensive because it is based on what we can't, that is based on what cannot be seen by men. Wow. Wow. And then he says in verse 5, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Each servant will get the praise from God that they deserve. I think you'll probably remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. God's servants will be judged and rewarded by God accordingly. And that's an important fact. Why? Because he can see what no one else can see. Now, I'll be quite honest with you and quite frank with you that whenever, whenever I get on my high horse or I begin to feel that I'm overly confident or I begin to feel that uh, in some way I, I, I deserve uh, credit where credit is due and all that kind of stuff, God has to put me in my place. And he says, that motive is not right. That motive is not right. It's not that I have a poor self-image or anything or trying to be, you know, humble, humble, you know, this kind of thing. But God just levels you. Because why? Because he can see into our heart. 
He could see why we do what we do, and, and, and he knows why we are doing it. And so that's a, quite a motivator. So if you put all this together, if we're going to evaluate the servant of God, we better first of all get it straight that the servant of Christ is really a steward of the mysteries of God. And that is a heavy, heavy burden. And the next thing we need to understand is that as the servant of God, the servant of God is going to be judged by God, not by us. We can have our opinions. We can have our thoughts. But ultimately, the one opinion that really counts is God. And why is God's opinion so great? Because he can see what is hidden. You see? So our church is about ready to you know, embark on this great journey and God has provided this wonderful sets of servants. I think he, you know, he's transitioning me out and bringing Pastor Ian in. And there's going to be, I'm sure, there's going to be many more new uh, staff members that will come in. I think there will be many more elders who will come in. And there will be this great transition of the servants of the Lord. So we better have our act straight as to how we're going to evaluate them. So let me give you three suggestions, okay? Let me give you three that flow out of this passage and other parts of the Bible. Seek the pr- if you're a servant of God, seek the praise and approval of God for what you think and do as a servant of God, okay? Seek the approval and the, and the, uh, uh, the praise of God. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says this in the ESV, for I am now seeking the Am, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? He asked that big question. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So it is not compatible to say, I'm a servant of Christ, but all I'm trying to do is please men. It's incompatible. It doesn't work. And so this is what we need to do. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, the ESV again. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God, who what? Who tests our heart. Okay? So you and I, if we are serving Christ, if we are servants of Christ in this church or in any other ministry, seek the approval the approval, and the praise of God over that of men. Now, if, we're, if we are those in the congregation, we can look at it this way. Seek to love, care, pray, and support and encourage all teachers, leaders, and preachers that God gives the church. Okay? And so instead of sitting there, instead of standing there, instead of trying to run them down in the parking lot. <laughs> we ought to be trying to pray for these folks, support these folks, and love and care for them and encourage them. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all things, all good things with the one who teaches. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, at least you feel that Pastor Arnold is trying to feather his nest. No, 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 no. Remember, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be leaving soon, <laughs> okay? So if anything, I'm just trying to get us ready 
okay, for the new guy, all right? And just as you have loved me, even more than as you have loved and supported and encouraged me, please do so to the next person who comes on board. You can't go wrong with doing that. You can't go wrong with doing that, okay? So, seek the praise and approval of God if you're a servant of Christ. Seek to love, care, and pray for, and support, and encourage all the teachers and preachers and other servants of God, okay? Now, the next thing is seek to give a benefit of a doubt to those who minister, teach, lead, and preach if they don't agree with you or do things the way you, or don't do the things, they don't do things the way you think it ought to be done, okay? Give them a benefit of a doubt. All right, give them the benefit of a doubt. After all, after much prayer and study, these people, these teachers and preachers, they may believe the Lord is guiding them in another direction and they must follow his lead. They have no choice. They have no choice. If they are true servants of Christ, if they are true servants of the Lord, they've got to follow the Lord. All right? And so give them the benefit of a doubt, will you? Remember, they will ultimately stand before the Lord and give an account, okay? And I must say that one of the highlights of my time being here at Grace Baptist is that I I appreciate all the different leaders that I've had to work with and all the wonderful ministry uh, leaders and people, the co-workers here you know, you've put up with this crazy American, <laughs> okay, for almost eight years, all right? And I know I have all these crazy ideas and goofy ways of doing things, but, you know, they're, they're, they mean well, and they're out of a heart of love. And, and I like to believe that these are the things that God wants us to do together, you see? And so, uh, I've enjoyed a fair amount of this kind of cooperation and I, I want to I praise the Lord and I thank you uh, for uh, coming alongside and I hope that this is something that you, we will continue to do in the days of here uh, ahead and um, in those times when people decided not to go the way I went I just took it as not God's will not God's time all right and ultimately we're all going to stand before the Lord and this is not over. It'll resurface again when we're before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'll let God decide, okay, who's right and who's wrong. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 25, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is at the head, even Christ. And then in verse 25, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay. So, Even though we're giving each other a benefit of a doubt, we do need to speak the truth. The truth. What is the truth? Why does he put the in front of truth? He's talking about the truths of God. He's talking about the clear doctrines of God that are there. We need to talk to each other about those things. And then when he says speak truth in verse 25, that's just general truth. He says we need to, we owe it to each other to share truth with one another. Truth sometimes hurts. But we need to share the truth with one another. Also, while we're giving each other the benefit of a doubt, Ephesians 5.21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. If in the whole discussion, at some point, there is an hierarchy of, of, of leadership or something that's involved here, then let's submit to one another accordingly. Okay, let's submit to one another accordingly. 
You know, don't get all worked up and get all sweaty and, you know, <laughs> want to go on the, on the web and, you know, blast these people and stuff like that. That doesn't bring glory to God, okay? And trying to win people to our side, that doesn't do anything, you know? But subject, uh, let us subject ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. And then Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves, Okay, give each other the benefit of a doubt, but in doing so, always remember to do it with humility and not with selfishness or empty conceit. Do it with humility. You know, it's, it's I'll tell you, man, it works. It works. You know, some people say, Pastor, you're just too mild-mannered. How do you let this guy get away with this and all that kind of stuff? I'm not getting, he's not getting away with anything. <laughs> he's going to be, he's going to go before God and have to give an account of this stuff. All right. So this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to, to allow people uh, to see uh, what it is to work with those who are servants of God. And we have to understand who they are. We have to understand who's going to, re- who they feel responsible to. And we have to understand why they can be responsible to God. So, how we perceive and work with those who serve the body of Christ as leaders, teachers, uh, preachers is important to God, and it should be important to us, okay? And we don't want to keep repeating ourselves, but they're servants, Uh, they are stewards of the mysteries of God, and they are examined by God, they are judged by God. So, prayerfully, lovingly, and consciously... Let us bring our anticipations and expectations for God's stewards in line with God's anticipations and expectations. Okay? Okay, let's not run out there and, you know, bring the thinking of the world into this thing. Oh, man, you know, I thought he was taller. Oh, man, I, I, thought, I thought he would have more energy, you know? I thought that, you know, this guy would be much smarter than the way he's indicated from, the, from his last message, you know, and all this kind of stuff. That's the standard of the world, my friend. That's the standard of the world. Rather, let's get behind these people and understand who they're responsible to ultimately, and let's support them. So... In the next few weeks, we're going to continue our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we will see further what God has to say about this topic. Let's close in prayer and bow our heads, please. Father, we come to you, Lord, knowing that how important this particular topic is to us, especially at this time and period in the history of GBC. We know, Lord, that there is a lot of concern in our hearts and in our minds, to be sure. But, Father, the only thing that we can truly depend upon is your word. And your word is clear about how we should evaluate and how we should judge one another. And we pray, Father, that we will be people of your word. We will be your people. And, Father, may our hearts now begin to turn. uh, If it needs to, let us turn and let's become the people of God and judge rightly. Father, we thank you again for your word and the time that we can have together around it. In Jesus' name, amen.